Abolition. Abolition. The gentleman from Maryland is recognized for two minutes. Smashing windows and beating police officers over the head with fire extinguishers, a bloodthirsty mob attacked the Capitol and invaded this Congress last Wednesday. They erected a gallows and repeatedly chanted, Hang Mike Pence. They stormed Speaker Pelosi's office yelling, Where's Nancy? They brandished the Confederate battle flag and occupied the Senate chamber. They wounded dozens of people, hospitalizing dozens of people, killed five of our people. For six hours, they shut down the counting of electoral college votes, our sacred process under the Constitution for peaceful transfer of power in the United States. They may have been hunting for Pence and Pelosi to stage their coup, but every one of us in this room right now could have died. As Senator Lindsey Graham said, the mob could have blown the building up. They could have killed us all. And now the far right is calling for return engagements from January 17th to January 20th. They're asking the president to pardon the conspirators in last week's rampage as they prepare for a race war again next week. And it's a bit much to be hearing that these people would not be trying to destroy our government and kill us if we just weren't so mean to them. Well, despite the floor leader's desperate effort to polarize this body and this nation along party lines, it is the chair of the Republican conference who best articulated what happened in a statement yesterday, and I recommend every American read this. Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the elected chair of the Republican conference, wrote, the president summoned this mob, assembled this mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the president. The president could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office. Request 10 seconds. Gentleman from New York. I yield an additional 10 seconds. An additional 10 seconds to the gentleman from Maryland. Cheney says there's never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. Read Ms. Cheney's statement. Let's come together and impeach the president for this high crime against the republic. We don't have a minute to spare. He is a clear and present danger to the people. The gentleman from Rhode Island, Mr. Cicilline, is recognized for three minutes. Madam Speaker, for more than 220 years since George Washington yielded the presidency to John Adams, the peaceful transfer of power has been a hallmark of our democracy. In this country, the will of the American people reigns supreme over the ambitions of any individual. Every single president has honored and upheld these principles until now. Donald Trump lost his bid for re-election last November. It was a free and fair election. In fact, President Trump's own election security director called it the most secure election in U.S. history. But for two months now, Donald Trump has refused to accept the will of the American people. Over and over again, he's told his supporters he didn't really lose. The election was stolen from him and from them. And as they grew angrier and angrier over this perceived injustice, he told them there was still a way to keep him in power. So as Congress prepared to meet for the sacred ritual of certifying the results of the presidential election, the president made his move. He directed his supporters to travel to Washington for a rally to stop the steal. They did. He then once assembled, he had one final request, march on the U.S. Capitol, do what it takes to help me hold on to power. We will never give up. We will never concede, he told them. If you, you, you don't fight like hell, he warned, you're not going to have a country anymore. 
The people on the ellipse that day heard his message loud and clear. They answered his call for insurrection. As the third-ranking Republican in this chamber put it, he summoned the mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Armed with guns, pipe bombs, bats, shields, zip ties, and more, they set their sights on the U.S. Capitol. They stormed the citadel of our democracy. Hundreds of domestic terrorists did what Donald Trump wanted them to do. They seized the Capitol and tried to end our country's 234-year experiment in democracy as the Trump family and White House aides watched gleefully on television. They searched the halls of this building for the vice president, who they came to hang for treason. They overran the office of the speaker, who they came to assassinate. They sought above all else to seize control of our government in the name of Donald Trump. Let that sink in. The terrorists who stormed this building planned to hang the vice president, kill the speaker, and topple our government. They took down the American flag and replaced it with a Trump flag. I asked my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, who are not planning to vote for this article, is this the kind of country you want to live in? What are you going to tell your children and grandchildren when they ask what you did in this moment? Did you stand for the republic or for this president? Heed the words of Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president who told our country that a house divided against itself cannot stand. This great house in which he served cannot and will not endure if we do not stand together now. The president and the terrorists who stormed these halls last Wednesday did not succeed in toppling our republic. We must ensure they never do. I implore you to join us in supporting this article, and I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The gentleman from New York reserves his time. The gentleman. Abolition. You just heard opening statements, or you just heard statements by Congress in regards to the January 6th insurrection, explaining exactly what we're facing right now in the U.S. from domestic frenemies. The music was a medieval remix of Where the Hood At by DMX, courtesy of Beatle the Bardcore. Y'all got to check out that Bardcore, man. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas, and except for my guests, at least on the radio, I'm riding solo tonight. As our listeners know, the last two weeks, Yusuf Hassan has been very sick, so we'll continue to hold it down till he's able to return. So send out good vibes and prayers for a speedy recovery. But I am sitting up in the house with my man, Nine Elements. What's happening, Nine? What's going on, everybody? <laughs> he's here with me at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, where we are broadcasting live. In episode two of season three, which is tonight, I mean, episode Three of season two tonight, you'll hear from the abolitionist witnesses, activists who have been advocating for slavery abolition for collective decades, long before it was popular. Tonight, we are joined, well, we will be joined on Abolition Today by our former co-host, Johanan Alaya. We're also, uh, be, we're also being syndicated on the Black Talk Radio Network, courtesy of Scotty Reed. In the midst of a national insurrection by white supremacists, these veteran abolitionist witnesses come together for the first time in years to testify what they have seen and discuss the bigger picture of then, now, and tomorrow. 
so with all of that said, man, let's go ahead and get into the program. Y'all heard that opening track. Um, I'm hoping that my guest will call in, Johan, and I haven't been able to reach him today, so uh, I, I can't be 100% certain that he'll even be here. Um, but we are being streamed live on the Black Talk Radio Network. And as I said in the beginning, man, it has been a hell of a week. We've seen an insurrection happen, and uh, now we got all 50 states that are bringing out uh, – well, basically all 50 states are in a state of emergency, they're declaring, right? National Guard and many of them. I saw them in Michigan and Ohio. D.C. got 25,000 National Guards. Who's ever going to forget the image of these guardsmen sleeping right under the big – bust of Lincoln, you know, in the White House. We haven't seen anything like this in in generations. And what's the cause? Racist white supremacists, a president who is inciting insurrection. Um, you know, a media uh, like Fox News and AON and others uh, who are supporting madness and potentially a lot of it linked to uh, influences from foreign actors. Uh, I would not be surprised if the Russians got their hands in some of this Fox News garbage or OAN or whatever that station is called, you know, or the Chinese. Uh, but as it stands, it's a reality of today. Um, being here in America, you have to be concerned that some crazy ass redneck with a Confederate flag uh, who happens to also be a doctor or a lawyer or a policeman could shoot you dead uh, just on GP. Uh, they could hunt you like they did Ahmaud Avery. Avery, um, you know, uh, one of these cops who went over to the riot could show up, drop you in a jail cell like they did Sandra Bland. Um, You know, there's just so much that could happen to us right now. And I know that they're securing the um, city halls all across the country and in each capital, but they ain't doing nothing to secure our lives, and we're always the target, you know? Like, you should put some guards, some National Guards around some of these uh, prominent black churches. Uh, that's what I'm suggesting. Uh, get some of these national guard, national guards to make sure that the hood is safe. Uh, put them in places where they would normally go to assassinate people. Here where I'm at, uh, when I was living in Eastover just a couple of years ago, uh, Dylan Roof lived like a mile down the street from me. And this son of a something drove right past my house to go and kill nine people in Charleston. Um, and there was no protection there at that church, including a state senator, uh, Senator Pickney. Uh, you know, he assassinated the state senator. And that happened right here in SC. Uh, things like that have happened all across the country. Y'all remember that one guy who, um, he went from, I believe he traveled from Baltimore or from Maryland to go to New York to stab an old black guy in the back with a sword. Remember that? Um, that was just a few years ago. Uh, these are the type of things that they have been doing to us on a regular basis. I remember another one where guys slashed two black women's throats out in, I think it was California at a train station. Um, just ran up on them and started slicing. But soft targets everywhere. And I'm not trying to be a fear monger like, you know, the media is doing. I'm just saying this is the reality of what we're dealing with right now. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, I'm keeping my family home. Don't go nowhere until after the slaver king has been crowned. That's my suggestion. And uh, have your house protected and be prepared. Uh, this is not a good time to be black and be in America. It's just not a good time. And uh, we see all of this white-on-white violence happening now. Uh, and uh, at, in our position, uh, we've already dealt with it. You know, if they do that to you, imagine what they've been doing to us. All right, so 
Oh, yeah, and, you know, since my guest isn't called in tonight, as I said, I, I'm not 100% he'll be able to call in at all. I hope that he was paying attention to his messages and nothing's wrong with him. Um, so I want to tell you what we just did a little while ago, and I'll incorporate my guest here who is live at the Fall Company Abolitionist Center. We just watched American Skin. Yes, we did. Yep, Nine Elements. Uh, and uh, it was you, myself, Sharon Smith, and Tribal Ring. And uh, we really... You know, enjoy is not the word, right? Yeah, enjoy yeah. is too small a word for that. It's too, it's too small a word for that because it wasn't no really enjoyment. Um, but we all agreed that we would recommend that you watch. Uh, we all agreed that it is a winner. Um, we had different perspectives of things that we saw, but it's one of those eye-openers for sure. Uh, my impression was that this was our story. I mean, he... You know, Nate Parker, the director, was basically telling our story of what happens to us on a regular basis. So uh, there was a lot of familiarity. We we kept thinking of moments where, yeah, that was us back in the day. That was us doing this. You know, even the part about the speeding right now, yeah. like immediately we thought about that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I said, you know, uh, he couldn't have possibly been speeding because Tribal Rain was in front of him and Tribal Rain can't see at night. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Which happened to us uh, some years back where they stopped my brother here, James, because uh, he had a nice car, black guy in a nice car. He wasn't speeding. He was just black people in a neighborhood that they weren't supposed to be in. And then tried to railroad him when he finally got into court. And all of the $600, they were going to throw your life away right. for 600 freaking dollars. And when we came to challenge that, they were like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare you? The judge even told me to shut up and sit down when I got up on the witness stand. Like, yes, they did, y'all. I was on the witness stand for $600. That's how we roll. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, just so y'all know, my freedom papers cost $600. The freedom papers cost $600. Is that what they got out of you at the end? Did you end up having to pay it? Yep. That's, That's how I ended up um, staying, out, staying out of the plantation, y'all. But that was uh, the catalyst for uh, the murder of the uh, protagonist's son in there. And uh, from there on, as I said, we felt like we were just looking through our own eyes at the circumstances. And the difference was we, we haven't went to any extreme methods as was portrayed in the film. Uh, like, we haven't went to those type of extreme methods. Um, but then I thought as well, you know, it's kind of, it's a very simple view of our lives. But this is also a, a fly on the wall opportunity. And I think that's what they really intended to see from the outside looking in. Uh, what did you think, man? Sorry. Most definitely an outside looking in um, uh, perspective of it, and it was a much needed one because with all the all the different viewpoints, the frustration that we feel, the ignorance that they have, you know, at some point it's got to come to a head where there's got to be some common ground that some of us uh, can get to to understand what's going on and stop this. Well, it's on Prime, uh, and you can get it. I think it's seven dollars. Uh, that we pay for so worth uh, the money worth the money yeah definitely worth the money uh, get it and uh you know if you're a person of color and you know this experience get it and watch it because uh it, it it really will it'll bring more information to your life and understanding it and a call to action about the realities of, that we face in, under these circumstances where uh, even we all know that the only way that these people would have got to the point where they were actually talking about the issue in the way they were in the film was under these types of uh, circumstances where there's right. duress involved, where they have to sit down and talk about it. Because right. uh, normally it's just an echo chamber, you know, and they're sharing these false ideas like they do with uh, QAnon. 
And and before you know it, they've convinced themselves of their own bullshit. And and they believe it 100%. So you'll hear cops say things like black racists. Like, if you weren't so racist, if you just complied, if you guys weren't doing this and you weren't doing this and you weren't doing that. Or if you just took responsibility for what happened. Right, right, exactly. You know, I don't want to give away no spoilers about the show. I'm just saying there was an opportunity where they all had to discuss things very clearly, but it was under duress. So make sure that you pick that film up. Um, Let me check my board here and see if my guest has called in yet. All right. Nope, not yet. Uh, if you're out there listening, Johanna, um, and somehow you weren't able to access uh, your media messages, we're at 515-605-9814. And that's for any callers. If you have something to say, question or comment, we're at 515-605-9814. All right. In the meantime, I do got a lot of news, and I got some clips that I want to share today. Um, as a matter of fact, I was going to save this one for when our guest gets in here, but it's about seven minutes, so that'll give him some extra time if he's able to show up. If not, we're going to have a uh, discussion about this. This is uh, me reading from a book called How the Civil War and Reconstruction Remade the Constitution. I'm just reading a small section of it, and it's about the 13th Amendment and how – you know what? Let me let you listen to the clip. And take some notes, get your pen and paper out. Um, listen to this very clearly. Uh, this is uh, knowledge, the type of knowledge that makes one unfit to be a slave. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to discuss it. And uh, if you're listening and you want to call in and be a part of that discussion, the number is 515-605-9814. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 Today. Abolition. The 13th Today. Amendment. Clothed a radical departure in the nation's history in what a Boston newspaper called the well-settled language of a great historical document. But because of its very familiarity, the wording did not undergo necessary scrutiny. The prisoner exemption was almost never discussed in the press or at anti-slavery meetings and black conventions that urge ratification. Only a handful of critics sensed that it might cause problems. The language, the abolitionist journal, the Principia charged as early as February 1864, changed the Constitution for the worse by appearing to acknowledge that slavery was allowable for adequate causes. Charles Sumner insisted that while the Northwest Ordinance performed an excellent work in its day, its wording was entirely inapplicable to our time, since it implied that men can be enslaved as a punishment for crime. Sumner wrote later that he had hoped to propose eliminating the clause regarding convicted criminals, but failed to act because his colleagues were anxious to get their dinner. I regret now my forbearance, he added. The exemption did not go unnoticed among white Southerners. In November 1865, former Confederate General John T. Morton pointed out in a speech in Georgia that the 13th Amendment did not prevent states from enacting laws that enabled judicial authorities to consign to bondage blacks convicted of a crime. 
The Southern governments, established under Andrew Johnson's Reconstruction Program, proceeded to enact a series of laws called the Black Codes to define and circumscribe the freedom that African Americans now enjoyed and make it clear, as Robert M. Patton, the new governor of Alabama, put it, that politically and socially, ours is a white man's government. The Black Code of Mississippi, quickly followed by those of other states, gave blacks certain rights, such as having their marriages recognized in law, but also imposed all sorts of disabilities, including limiting their freedom of movement and barring them from following certain occupations, owning firearms, serving on juries, testifying in cases involving whites or voting. Despite the 13th Amendment, involuntary black labor, justified by the criminal exemption, was central to these laws. They required all adult black men at the beginning of each year to sign a contract of labor to work for a white employer or face prosecution for vagrancy or other vaguely defined crimes. Those convicted would be fined and if unable to pay, forced to labor for a white employer. Florida's code authorized the sale for up to a year of a free person who violated a labor contract. Apprenticeship laws authorized judges to provide planters with the unpaid labor of black children on the pretext that their parents were unable to support them. To be sure, vagrancy laws go back to the pre-modern era and were widely used throughout the country before the Civil War to punish able-bodied persons who appeared to be unwilling to work. But earlier vagrancy laws were not envisioned as the foundation for an entire labor system. Apprenticeship, too, had a venerable history. But the arrangements in the Black Codes bore little resemblance to traditional ones, whereby a youth learned a trade. Certainly, all this was not what former slaves and their northern allies considered free labor. Quote, if carried into effect, a local black leader wrote to the president, it will be virtually returning us to slavery again. Where is the justice? Asked a black convention in Mississippi. Where is the freedom? Among other things, declared a New Haven newspaper, the Black Coast demonstrated the necessity of the second section of the 13th Amendment, authorizing further congressional action to protect the freedom blacks had so recently acquired. It was this sort of legislation the prominent North Carolina Unionist Daniel R. Goodloe later recalled, which caused the North, the Northern people, to believe that there was no sincere purpose on the part of Southern people to acquiesce in the freedom of the former slaves. The laws also, however, revealed the dangers inherent in the prisoner exception. As reports circulated in the North of blacks convicted of theft or vagrancy being sold for a term of years at public outcry, disquiet rose in anti-slavery circles about the unfortunate phraseology of the amendment. A few members raised the issue in Congress. Cunning rebels, one congressman complained, were using the exception clause to reduce freed persons to slavery. 
God knows I wish we had that amendment before us at this time, said William Higby, a radical Republican from California. We deliberated months, and yet we did not cover the whole ground. There is no good reason under heaven why a man for crime should be sold into slavery. In 1867, the National Anti-Slavery Standard called for the passage of a new amendment eliminating the words, except as a punishment for crime. That same year, John A. Casson of Iowa introduced a resolution clarifying the meaning of the exemption clause. No one, he declared, supposed when the amendment was ratified that in the very sentence abolishing slavery, they had also made provision for its survival under another form and through the actions of the courts. The amendment's true intent and meaning, his resolution declared, was to prohibit all forms of slavery and involuntary servitude except in direction in direct execution of a criminal sentence under the immediate control of officers of the law and not sale or other de- disposition into slavery. Casson's resolution passed the House by an overwhelming majority, 122 to 25, but did not come to a vote in the Senate. Many senators felt the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which among other things mandated racial equality in access to the courts and in judicial punishments, rendered the resolution unnecessary. Time would prove them wrong. Abolition. 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 Peace and Peace and welcome back to Abolition today. That was a clip or I read a segment of how the Civil War and Reconstruction remade the Constitution by Eric Foner. Uh it's an amazing book that I'm I'm currently into and that section really broke down how they knew exactly what they were doing with the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. I see I got a couple of hands up here and a couple of callers. Remember, if you do call in and you want to uh, comment or ask a question, to press 1 so that uh, we'll be aware of that. All right. I'm bringing in, I believe this is Scotty Reed, 2161. Scotty, is that you? I, I can't hear you, Scotty. 2161? You might be on mute. You can hear me, right? Can you hear me now, man? Oh, yeah, there you go. I hear you, Scotty. Hey, Scotty, uh, welcome to Abolition today, brother. Hey, greetings to you, uh, Tribal Rain, and the rest of the abolitionist nation across the planet, Um, because this is indeed, as you know, Max, a worldwide uh, global movement, and we got family all over the planet, because it's also happening in Africa, and, and so... The reason I called in is before I address some of the things brought up in your commentary that you just played, excellent information. Um, Going back to the insurrection that we saw um, in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, where we saw Confederate flags and Trump flags side by side um, hunting down uh, uh, representatives and senators to do them violence, man. when it first went down, I really did not did not comprehend just how violent 
this was going on, but now over the course of time, as more and more video is being, you know, uh, given to the media and it's going out, I'm like, wow, wow, that really went down in our nation's capital. Yeah, they 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 had the rebel flag up in there, you know, um, hunting down uh, people, insurrectionists. Because remember, those are the original rebels, and that's who they're emulating is the Confederate insurrectionists who wanted to found a racist government uh, that allowed them to continue to to practice slavery against black people or, quote, unquote, the Negro, as was stated in their constitution. And they were just mad because Lincoln won, even though Lincoln gave them all kind of assurances that I have no intention of interfering with your property. And he was being for real. He, you see how long it took for the Emancipation Proclamation to come out. But anyway, them cops who we call slave catchers, okay, we we refer to those uh, certain types of uh, officers as slave catchers. I'm not going to call all of them slave catchers because, you know, I know some I went to school with. Many of us have them in our family, and they're up against it, you know, uh, trying to push back against these white supremacists who the FBI said infiltrated their ranks in 2006. So here's my message to them cops that that got terrorized, beaten, killed uh, up there in Washington, D.C. You've known for a long time that these people were within your ranks. And if you didn't get a wake-up call, you just got one. Okay, that these so-called Blue Lives Matter people don't care nothing about you. What they care about is white supremacy being the the uh, law of the land. And if you don't step up and start, I don't care how you do it. They got WikiLeaks. They got all kind of out, news outlets where you can leak uh, important information when they're trying to cover up crimes or what they policies and procedures. We've seen it, Max, over the years individual cops, but we need a lot more. And if this ain't a wake-up call that uh, everybody wearing their uniform um, is fighting for the same things or or about, you know, uh, the creed that they took, they not, and they need a wake-up call. But your commentary is dead on, Max. And you think about that period um, that you was discussing, um, what Jackson did and pardoning some of those Confederates, but what Lincoln set out to do at the Hamptons conference where the 13th amendment exception clause, I believe was first discussed. So, so you dead on point, man. And I encourage everybody to stay tuned and get this valuable information um, because then people can't uh, continue to lie to you about it being abolished. And I hope hey, you your honey, man. I hope you call in, man, because, it's been a while since I heard the brother's voice. Right. I, I'm hoping so too, Scotty. You know, I, I, I was unable to reach him today. I heard from him yesterday. I told him to give me a call and he said, I'll call you in about an hour. And I haven't heard from him since. So I've sent information, the phone number and all that. Hopefully he gets a chance to call in. If he's not able to, it's probably something important that has occurred. Uh, I apologize to our audience uh, for any expectations. But in the meantime, uh, we are here, man, and the, and the information is certainly here. And uh, as Scotty just said, uh, there we're dropping some jewels. Um, one of the things about that particular book and the 
segment that I did read out of there is it showed at least a half a dozen people by name who knew that the exception clause uh, allowed for legalized slavery. It also pointed out that they knew that the black codes and pig laws and all these different laws through the Jim Crow period that they were putting together were specifically meant to uh, to criminalize the black community that so, they, so that they could re-enslave them uh, as, as a free source of labor, once again, uh, through convict leasing, and also as part of traditional oppression practices, just out of pure spite and hate. So it showed that that was there. You know, we did a lot of researches, research over the years, and I was always very curious as how is it that Frederick Douglass was the only guy that know that knew that the Thirteenth Amendment would allow slavery to continue? And you know, as I dug deeper and deeper, I found that there were many others who did know, but their voices were silenced, and the deception was complete. And, and now you can't go to school without learning that. Slavery was abolished by the 13th Amendment, and Lincoln loved black people so much that he was the only begotten son that was given up. <laughs> you know, like he's been deified, deified to the point where there's a statue that they just took down where Lincoln is standing over a black man in chains uh, with his hand, I believe, on his head, patting him like he's a dog. And he's looking up at him with, with, uh, like he's God who has brought freedom to the land. Uh, and the truth was, Lincoln hey, was an open racist. Scotty? Hey, Max. And the sta- and I'm not hard on recently freed victims of slavery after the Civil War, but I heard that they paid for that statute and what have you. But a lot of them didn't know. Very few people knew. You would least expect people who are, I would say, 99% illiterate coming off a plantation. You wouldn't expect them to know what the 13th Amendment was going to do. But like you said earlier, though, those 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 loyal union and states certainly knew it. It was brought up. And like like you said, they were just ready to rush off. But I'm going to tell you this, Max. Lincoln said in the letter to Alexander Stevens, who would let him become the vice president of the Confederacy, when he won the presidency, he sent him a letter saying that do y'all believe that I'm going to interfere with y'all property? I'm not going to do no such thing. We just don't want slavery to expand to the new areas we colonizing, you know, uh, from the Native Americans. And, and so, and for two years, he kept talking about his stated goal was to keep the union together, whether it be free or slave, slavery. And so here he is conceding to these Confederates who was in no position to negotiate after getting flat out beat on the battlefield, that, okay, yeah, I'm a sympathetic white man, and I'm racist too. Uh, and so, yeah, I understand y'all need to practice slavery, I mean, practice uh, uh, racism and oppress black folks, and, okay, yeah, we can put them back in the slave, but first y'all got to get them in the court and convict them of these crimes y'all going to make up. I certainly believe them conversations went on. Maybe not in those exact words, but I believe they went on. But thanks, Max. Great job, and I'm going to continue to listen. I appreciate you, Scotty. Thanks for chiming in, man. Throughout the program, uh, feel free. Uh, As I said, I was hoping this would be kind of a reunion of these veteran abolitionists who have been out here for so long studying this system with so much to say as witnesses. To all of this, uh, you know, we've seen quite a bit of things occur uh, right at the heart of this movement from the very beginning. Uh, you know, like the moment of the United States through 
it's then President uh, Barack Obama announced that they would be reconsidering using private prison contracts in the future. You know, we knew that it was just a statement. We we really knew that because we already were aware that these contracts were up to 25 years. And when you're talking about you're reconsidering um, renewing the contracts, you're talking about something that potentially is 20 years down the line. Uh, so it really was rhetoric, but he was forced into that position. And just that little bit, just that little bit of rhetoric from a president who was really hustling us about the whole issue caused the for-profit private prison stocks to plummet uh, to the point that they would uh, have to stop trading on Wall Street in order to keep them from crashing out completely. That's how much effect it had. And we witnessed that August 19th, I believe it was, Scotty, right? 2015 or 16? But yeah, uh, and we, we were the ones putting a lot of pressure behind that in co- collaboration with the divestment efforts that were going on in places like Columbia University and Alabama University and the school teachers unions across America. Uh, many of them were putting pressure on the president and the system. And so they made this you know, BS announcement that they really wasn't going to follow up on, and they knew it, but it was enough to shake the stock market. Oh, my God, they realized that we're slavers. They're about to get rid of us. <laughs> and people started selling their stocks off. You know? it, was, it was nuts. So, again, back to that, that clip. For me, this uh, is concrete evidence uh, in history and writing, in recorded in letters and newspaper reports from 1867 and National Slavery Standard that they all knew that this exception clause would be nothing more than a loophole that would reinvent slavery in a what they thought was a more humane uh, system. And Scotty mentioned the letter that Abraham Lincoln sent to Alexander Stevens. And I want to read that letter so y'all all understand it and have heard it with your own ears. And this letter was sent, marked the date, December 22nd, 1860. This was right after the election and right before the secession. And he sent this letter to him saying, my dear sir, your obliging answer to my short note is just received. And for which please accept my thanks. I fully appreciate the present peril the country is in and the weight of responsibility on me. Do the people of the South really entertain fears that a Republican administration would directly or indirectly interfere with their slaves or with them about their slaves? If they do, I wish to assure you, as once a friend and still, I hope, not an enemy, that there is no cause for such fears. The South would be in no more danger in this respect than it was in the days of Washington. I suppose, however, this does not meet the case. You think slavery is right and ought to be extended, while we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. That, I suppose, is the rub. It is certainly the only substantial difference between us. Yours very truly, Abraham Lincoln. What we found out later on was not only was he completely aware of the exception clause and how it worked in order to allow convict leasing, but he had already put it into the Washington, D.C. Constitution. It's in there right now, written by Lincoln himself, which allowed for slavery as a punishment of crime. And when he was talking about restricted, that slavery should be restricted. He was talking about it being managed by the state and not the individual, because the individuals were going buck rough wild. They were raping everybody, and you had to hide your wife, and hide your kids, and hide your husbands, because they were raping everybody out here. Now uh, They were murdering, they were abusing, and, and, and 
all of these horrors that the world was watching. But through the invisibility of the prison system, you could get away with all of that. And none of it would be seen because it was happening behind prison walls. Uh, and it was done to a far smaller amount of people. At the time of the emancipation, I believe that there were 4 million uh, people who were emancipated that had been formerly slaves. Uh, and when you talk about the height of convict leasing, well, look at it right now. 2.2 million people in the prisons alone. So you know, there's more people in, uh, involved in the chattel slavery, but the horrors were worse than slavery with convict leasing. And many historians believe this to be so and have said very clearly that this was worse than slavery. In slavery times or during chattel period times, they had concern about whether you lived or died at their property because they wanted you to give birth to more babies, for instance, as uh, Thomas Jefferson explained in his uh, his uh, explanation that uh, about, I believe it was about, it was the first reference in this nation about uh, using women, particularly uh, black women, and because of their children, it was uh, capitalism, capitalism, yes. You could capitalize on it. I remember Scotty was the one that brought that to light some years ago, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that they were worth more capital because they could give birth. And that was uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, so during those periods, they had some concern about your health and welfare. But in convict leasing, they literally worked you to death. And they would just go hunt as many as they needed. And when the, work, the mines called up or the railroads called up, uh, Texas Oil, whoever the hell it was, called up and said they needed people, they would simply go out and collect them through these black codes and vagrancy laws and, and put them in the positions where they could be leased companies who would literally work them to death. Uh, we have mentioned on a few occasions here that out in Texas there are graveyards there, mass graves of uh, black men, women, and children who will work to death in convict leasing plans. The same thing is is in New York, where there are mass graves, where they did the same thing. We're not talking about in South Carolina. <laughs> New York has mass graves of convicts that have died because they were worked to death. Uh, the North were the very first ones to use convict leasing through an exception clause in their constitution with Vermont being the grandfather of the exception clause. The very first appearance of an exception clause in a state constitution in the United States is in the Constitution of Vermont, which is right now, as we speak, uh, they already have legislation to remove that uh, exception clause from their state constitution. And that was in 1777. And uh, just to show they knew what they were talking about, if you ever get a chance, take a look at Vermont's exception to slavery, because it talks about how uh, slavery is abolished, except if you agree to it at 18 years old, like you agree to. Who's going to agree to slavery? What the hell is that? And uh, for the payment of bills and the like. Uh, first of all, you can be a slave if you owe somebody some money and then the like. What the hell is the like? And that's the Constitution of Vermont to this day. Uh, which allows slavery to grandfather of the exception clause. So the North had already been practicing uh, this way back to that point. And even then, they were using it on European indentured servants who had been sent here from Europe. Uh, I believe during the periods of 1777, around that time, when they put it in the Vermont Constitution, that uh, Europe was building prisons all across America, and they only had two in London. Uh, but they had plenty all over America, and 
when they would sentence those who had been convicted of crimes in Europe, they gave them the option of traveling or death. We can kill you right here on the spot, or you can travel. And traveling meant going to uh, America to be an indentured servant. And, and even then, it wasn't chattel slavery. They were expected to work at for about seven years, and at the end of that time, they would be uh, giving a tract of land, some money to start with, and they would have basically been an apprentice along that way. Uh, so it was, it was indentured servitude. But that was their first example of it. And we know that they used uh, these things throughout states all across America. So when he said, when Lincoln said, we think it should be restricted, he knew exactly what he was talking about. And he was talking about using convict leasing, where the state controls slavery rather than the individual who just didn't seem to know how to act. All right. Well, remember the number is 515-605-9814. We are here on Abolition Today. I'm riding solo as for hosting because Brother Johanan is sick. Uh, Not Johanan, Brother Yusuf is sick. And uh, our guest, Johanan, apparently is MIA. So we got prayers going out for both of them. Anything you want to add into this conversation in Nine Elements? I'm learning just as much as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the things being said, bro. Cause, um, I've been on, I've, um, I've almost experienced firsthand uh, what uh, Convict Lisa would be like, but thankfully I escaped that fate. So. Yeah, and you know, the way they have it now is this is a, another version of slavery because slavery keeps getting reformed, it keeps getting transformed and reformed into something new based on the time and technology that's uh, being applied. So they went from chattel slavery to convict leasing, and then they went from convict leasing to mass incarceration, where they started really exploiting prison labor on a huge scale to the point where there was like a million prisoners who were employed for free. And then after that, they expanded even further into warehousing bodies, uh, where now they don't even need you to work anymore. That's like extra. So the Immigration detention centers, the juvenile detention centers, all of these different ways of taking human beings and putting them into a cage and making the taxpayer pay for their housing has been something that the uh, prison system, not just for-profit private prisons, but state and federal, have really exploited to create economic development programs in their cities and counties and states. Some of these states would not be able to function without their prison system income, period. They just wouldn't be able to do it. They would fall apart without that money. It's their number one industry. Like here in South Carolina, we employ over 7,000 people in the prison system. Uh, and that's not just count. That's not counting the cops. Uh, and we have 24 facilities, to the best of my knowledge. And our state prisons trace all the way back to 1866 here in South Carolina. One year after the emancipation, after the 13th Amendment was ratified, just one year after that, in the state that seceded first, fused to ratify the 13th Amendment, they were allowed to ratify the Fourth Reconstruction Act in lieu of the 13th Amendment. That's how adamant they were about, we want slavery. And they built their first state prison in 1866, and they were very proud of it in South Carolina. As a matter of fact, until about 2016, they were bragging about it on the DOC website. So SDOC's website, you go there, first thing you see is, since 1866, locking Negroes up. Basically, is what it said. And we started a big uh, uh, 
attention uh, effort to to let people know that they were very proud of this slavery that they had recreated. And within a year, they took it down off their website. I, I can't tell you how long it had been up there, but they took it down after the, after we made all that noise. And one thing I found that's interesting, you know, was you talked about uh, the different forms, how technology has uh, been played part into this. Oh, white supremacy can get very creative when they want to, you know, maintain the industry that has been keeping them alive for God knows how long. Because, you know, the, the issue of slavery is nowhere near being new. I've even read a, a book uh, that has termed self-development called The Richest Man in Babylon, where it shows that slavery was based on debt. debt. And these are around biblical times. So we're now uh, moving to correct a wrong that's long overdue for being corrected. Yes, we are, man. Long overdue. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an idea whose time has come. People are going to uh, reach for freedom eventually. They're, they're only going to put up with so much oppression. Uh, and they're going to demand their freedom, you know. So th- it's an idea whose time has come, and we're winning in this stage right now. We've already abolished slavery. Uh, we have a total of four slavery, uh, four states that no longer have slavery. Right. So that's four states already where we only had one for 155 years. Right. And then we've got nine who have legislation for 2021 and 2022 already in place. And we've got 11 more who are organizing to do the exact same thing. So that's a total of 24 states that are involved in slavery abolition in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Yeah, and I know y'all can't see it, but I really smile. Even Mass can't even see how I smile. It was a time when it was just a dream, right, now? Yes. Yeah, it was just a dream. You know, we knew the problem, and we had to do something about it. And thanks to people all over this country, Something is being done about it. So shout out to the heroes, slavery abolitionist heroes, who are really taking this major step uh, in removing slavery from our state constitutions for the first time in this nation's history. All right, I could talk all day, but you know I love to bring in the music and the mixes into the program. So what I want to do is I got a couple of tracks for you tonight. We're gonna play. Uh, let's go ahead and take a music one of our two music breaks tonight. Uh, it's gonna be fight the power in a civil war by the Irishly Brothers. And I got a couple clips in there so you can understand exactly what kind of power we're fighting. You're listening to Abolition Today. Uh, this is Max Parthas. We're at abolitiontoday.org. Our phone number is 515-605-9814. 515-605-9814. Call in if you have questions or comments, and don't forget to press 1 on your keypad. We'll be right back after Fight the Power in a Civil War. Abolition Today. a quote. You either go down in history as a patriot or you can go down in history as a pussy.
Michael, good morning. The new intelligence assessment is blunt. Last week's mob attack on the Capitol appears to be inspiring far-right radicals to plan more violence. This morning, nation on alert. Authorities fearing the potential of violence is rising, not only at the inauguration in the nation's capital, but in all 50 states. This is a major security threat, and we are working to mitigate those threats. Along with D.C., of most concern, state houses in Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. The FBI also warning that right-wing radicals see the January 6th Capitol assault as a success, and now different groups are coordinating. ABC News has learned that the FBI is tracking two men who were part of last week's Capitol mob, who are allegedly planning to come back for another attack on the nation's capital on Inauguration Day. One suspect from North Carolina was allegedly observed loading ammunition boxes and was in possession of semi-automatic rifles, explosives, a gas mask, and bulletproof equipment. 20,000 National Guardsmen will be on duty for the inauguration. Security is amped up at D.C.'s airports and hotels. Airbnb canceling reservations in D.C. for Inauguration Week. We have asked Americans uh, not to come to the Washington, D.C. event. And now new details about just how serious law enforcement officials say the ongoing threats are. Cleveland Meredith, who was arrested by authorities in D.C. last week, allegedly sent text messages threatening to execute House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Bowser. According to prosecutors, Meredith was found with multiple firearms and more than 2,500 rounds of ammunition. The FBI is under incredible pressure, monitoring scores of suspects as we head down the stretch to the inauguration. I did a review this morning, and the time just before the election until now, there have been 18 suspects arrested and charged for allegedly plotting to kill or kidnap Democratic leaders and their supporters. Robin? 18. All right, Pierre, thank you. Abolition. Fight the Power in the Civil War. The Isley Brothers, part one and two of Fight the Power, with some clips from the current today's news. You know, 50 states on high alert, 18 uh, different death threats against elected officials. Uh, we got people who have planned and organized attempts to assassinate the uh, Speaker of the House, the Vice President. Uh, Congress people, um, they're running around with enough ammo and guns and body armor to start a civil war. You know, I remember, I can't help but remember this. Joe Biden, when he was talking that crap about his omnibus crime bill and why it was so necessary, uh, and putting all these bills with his name on them out these, uh, that was criminalizing a black brown life, uh, I, I just can't help but remember him saying, about the drug dealers then and the drug pushers that uh, these people have the opportunity now to go to war against America and we got to treat them like enemies of the state and uh, you know like it, it really wasn't a war with another country the way he was talking about drug dealers uh, and drug users and pushers and all the things that you know they labeled us as and here we are now with his buddies <laughs> doing worse than that you know what I mean? That's your neighbors, Biden. You know, that's the people you go to dinner with on a regular basis, Biden. You know, we're talking about the doctors and the lawyers. We even had a Supreme Court a judge's son was up in there. We had at least a dozen reports of officers from all over the country that were there. Um, you know, these weren't just 
you know, we like to put out this this narrative that all these racist white supremacists, because racism is so stupid, you have to be a dumbass redneck to believe it. But that's disregarding all of these Fortune 500 companies uh, that are filled with racists. Yeah. You know, where you can't find a black face on the board of directors if you went hunting uh, with the Sherlock Holmes, you would not be able to find it. Right. You know, but but the, the, the racism is not limited uh, based on your education. You know, these evil geniuses are racist too. <laughs> you know, we have evil geniuses who are racist. Uh, so, yeah, I just want, I couldn't help but remember when Biden made this comparison back in the day. And I, and I wonder if he feels the same way now. So, um, fight the power in a civil war and 18 different assassination attempts going on. 2,500 rounds of ammunition on one person. Uh, I saw the clips today. They're out in Michigan right now, armed uh, protesters, uh, basically racist, white supremacist, militias out there with semi-automatic weapons, body armor in front of the state capital of Michigan. One guy got caught going through the uh, lines in D.C. just, uh, I think it was yesterday, <laughs> had a bunch of weapons and, and, and bullets in and talking about it was an honest mistake. <laughs> like, what, for real? It was an honest mistake. All of a sudden, that AK-47 is not Russian-made, and, it, it, you know, I just happened to somebody put it in my car. You know, why are you treating me like a black man? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly, right? So, you know, this is a, very much like this period of the Civil War, where you had the good white people versus the evil black, uh, evil evil white people. You know, you had the Republicans newly formed with Lincoln in the lead, anti-slavery against the Democrats, who were these evil sociopaths who literally was walking around with black people on leashes and shit. Uh, you know, same narrative they're carrying now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here we have the 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 white on white violence happening again. They beat a cop with a freaking American flag and a Blue Lives Matter flag, <laughs> chanting USA while they did it. Like, right. it's all over me. How the hell, man? And they don't realize, man, it was a citizen versus citizen. You know, they, they, they're on your side till they ain't. That's, right. that's what it exactly. is. They, they're using you because uh, the cops that tried to stop them got beat down. The cops that stood aside, hey, brother, how you doing? Thanks for letting us through. And that's how they got treated as they were roamed throughout these halls uh, of Congress uh, in D.C. Yeah, it's it's like that. Again, you know, I, I don't want to be talking about myself. Me, me and Nine here, uh, he's helped me hold it down. Uh, but if you do want to ask a question or comment, press one on your keypad. Number is 515-605-9814. And we're coming up on our first hour of our broadcast. Uh, once again, I sent out... Uh, Good vibes and prayers to uh, Brother Yusuf Hassan, who was sick. Uh, I ain't going to try to tell his business of what was wrong with him or he's going through, but he may tell you when he comes back. So we're just hoping that he recovers quickly um, and gets uh, back here. You know, they shut me down recently. I think they shut everybody down, too, on Facebook. Um, Events. I can't make any new events. I can't post in any uh, group rooms. So we have our own group planning page for the program uh, where it's just me and Yusuf and Sharon, right? And Jeanette. It's four of us. And I'm banned from even posting in that. So I can't even put any information in our planning page. So a lot of this is, luckily I got done early this week. 
Otherwise, I'd be screwed over. I wouldn't be able to access our information. Uh, they sent a message saying that it was until the inauguration, although they didn't say the inauguration, they just put the date until uh, January 21st, I believe. Um, so it looks like Facebook is afraid of taking responsibility for the things that were planned on their forums, right? right. And as a response to that, rather than just shutting down the people who are doing it because of so many users and they don't have the personnel to find them all, they're just shutting down everybody. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's a private company, so I guess they can do that to some degree. But at the same time, it is uh, it is a form of censorship uh, that they're ex- they're exercising at free will. They're shutting everybody up because it's what somebody else is doing. Right. Um, and it, 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 it does cause some problems with a lot of people who depend on those services to be able to do what they got to do. Um, you know how I feel about censorship. I done wrote me yeah. a few poems on that one, man. Right. <laughs> got a poem about it. Want to hear? Here you go. <laughs> so, yeah, man, uh, we are in some trying times. And 150 years from now, they're going to be wondering if it was about slavery. <laughs> For real, right? As a matter of fact, there is something I, I, I do want to read to you guys since we don't have our guests. And at the moment, I don't have callers. And I'm here with my man, Nan, who is adding to this conversation. I want to read something to you since I have the opportunity. And then we're going to go into our second music break of the evening. Um, remember, if you want to join the conversation, press 1 on your keypad. So I wrote this a couple of days ago, and I'll share it with you. It says, we have a constitution that allows for legal slavery using a loophole mechanism, which was designed to be that way and has been exploited as such since 1865, the 13th Amendment. We use a system of laws where any given moment, 150 million citizens could be considered criminals. We have the largest prison population to have ever existed on earth, a race-slash-class-based system of criminalization that results in adult male descendants of the diasporas making up nearly 40% of the prison population while representing a mere 4% of the nation's population. You know, I was very specific about that, by the way, and there was a reason for it. It's because they keep throwing out this 40% of the population, 13% of the national population. 13% of the national population is counting all of us, men, women, children, babies. But this is aimed specifically at certain groups. Not only just black, but black males. So right. 94% of all prisoners are males. 94%. Right. Uh, and, you know, 40% of that is black males who only make up 4% of the population. Right. So, you know, it's always worse than you may have thought. And then to continue, no one gets a trial when 95% of all felony cases end in unconstitutional plea bargains, like an assembly line of flesh straight into hell holes where entire states are being sued by the DOJ for violating 8th and 14th Amendment rights. Processed like meat by a 95% white national prosecutorial pool. Right, Khalif Browder, right? Every sentence, no matter how minor, that results in incarceration inside jails, detention centers, or prisons is a potential death sentence, especially right now. Yes, sir. Uh, before you, before we had a pandemic, it was a potential death sentence. Yeah. And now, with a pandemic, it's far worse. Slave catchers roam the streets in hunting expeditions to fill prison body count quotas. 
unconstitutional fees and fines are levied in nationwide extortion schemes that funnel the poor into prisons. The rich and guilty go blameless, while the poor and innocent are demonized. Yes, sir. Every day. Every day, right? Uh, Brian Stevenson said it is better to be rich and guilty in this country than it is to be poor and innocent. Uh, There are racist white supremacists slash neo-Nazi organizations operating in full public view, storming capitals, blowing up city streets, planning kidnappings on elected officials, and bringing assault weapons to public spaces where they murder the unarmed and are shown drinking beers with other right racist white supremacists months later. Uh, you know, we, we all know what I'm talking about. In <laughs> fact, the most famous one is that one that got taken to Burger King while he was arrested. Dylan Roof. Yes, sir. That was Dylan Roof. Oh, my God, man, I can get into that story because he was supposed to get away. If not for the heroic actions of one nurse here in South Carolina mm-hmm. who uh, recognized the car and followed it for like two hours uh, while the pl- in contact with the police. If not for her, he would have got away because he made yeah. it all the way to North Carolina before they finally got him. And then bringing him back, took him to freaking Burger King. Yeah. He just killed nine of my neighbors, and they took him to freaking Burger King. King. Exactly. And then he stood over the bodies, quoting, or he, he quoted Trump when he shot them, uh, you know, about how they would come to take their jobs and their their their, their land and rape their women. <laughs> oh, my God. Three things we've never done, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> All right. To continue, I said, we watch. As citizens of a darker hue are executed by agents of the state. Body cams are a consistent supplier of snuff films. Sometimes the assassinations are syndicated by citizens. The haves and have-nots, the rich and poor, those given access and those denied it, has become so, so vast a chasm that one man's fortune could end poverty in the entire country for generations to come. Just one man's money. Yeah. Could end poverty in this country. This was before and during a global pandemic. All of this and much more is a fact of life in the U.S. 150 years from now, our descendants will be arguing if this was over slavery or not. If we leave them something other than a smoking crater in the ground, like the extreme social injustice inequities, our capability to kill has vastly overtaken our capabilities. To let live. Yes, they are. That's where we're at right now. All right. I see we got a call, so let me go ahead and open this microphone. Uh, 261-261. Scotty, you're back on the air with us? Yeah. Um, real quick about Dylan Roof. As you know, he was caught in the county that I live in, Gaston right. County, North Carolina, which is just across the South Carolina border. Um, um, and so anyway, yeah, this lady followed him, and she got in touch. It was the Gastonia police that pulled him over, took him into custody, and took him to Burger King because they were concerned about taking him to jail on an empty stomach. And I've been in that jail before, uh, and I was afforded no such courtesy. And I (laughs) definitely didn't just get through killing nine people. But, you know, um, the Gastonia police just got a new chief, and he just got an award, a Martin Luther King Jr. Award, for doing his job, I guess, um, without bashing black folks in the head, although they did have a militarized force 
uh, to oppose us black activists, um, you know, without getting all into, into that. But here, again, this Confederate monuments. These Confederate monuments mean something, people. That was a signal back during Jim Crow and convict leasing to all the black people. That was a signpost. Y'all thought slavery was over. We're going to set this Confederate monument right here at the door to let you know what time it is. Okay? So that, man, and we're fighting these people right now here in Gaston County. And then also this region is known for the, uh, what's the name of that book? I can't remember the guy's name, Thomas something. He wrote the Klansman. He lived in Cleveland County, which I believe is where Dylan Roof was from. And and if you ain't never heard of the book, The Klansman, the birth of a nation was based on that book, and the same author wrote the screenplay uh, in conjunction with W.D. Griffin. I just love history, and when I, I, I like to connect history to the present. And y'all brought up Dylan Roof's name, and I'm right here, and that's very vivid in my mind how they took him to Burger King. Right. I'm in the symbolism and science too, Scotty. So, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed by me that he left from Eastover where I lived at and it got caught in Gaston County where you live at, <laughs> you know, and that was why you and I were on the air together. You know, like really, I, I remember uh, brother John uh, Smith, uh, the, mathematician and, and artist uh, was doing the Burn and Bury event and he asked me to get some dirt from the church where that they murdered him and we arranged for him to get some dirt from the church where he murdered nine people and he went into court talking about you know the psychiatrist examined me and said I'm not a sociopath I know exactly what I'm doing and he did uh, he, he was happy to do what he did he felt like he uh, was forwarding the uh, civil war uh, and bringing it into fruition. You know, they're doing it here in America with this whole civil war thing, pushing us towards that more and more, very much in the same way that the uh, religious right does on a global level in trying to bring forth Armageddon. You know, if they could build the second temple or, or the third temple, whatever it is, there in Jerusalem with their own money, they'd do it right now. They would tear, tear down the Dome of the Rock and build up the temple just so that they can see Jesus come down, thinking that they're going to cause it to happen. Uh, and it's the same way here with these uh, Confederates, that they want this civil war to occur so that they can be put back into a position of power because they feel that they're losing their privilege and their power as uh, the nation is getting browner. And black people are getting more and more involved in the upper echelons of uh, our nation's inner workings. Because, you know, we're still way behind. There is no black governor's convention because we don't have any. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we still ain't in certain spaces. Right. Uh, we, 40, 46 presidents, only one of them was uh, a person of a darker complexion. I can't even say he was an African-American because he was from Kenya and Germany. So uh, he, he really wasn't uh, one of the children of the diaspora, but it was the first time anybody darker than a white guy got up there, yep. you know, uh, and, and it had to have set. <laughs> that was the only time. And what did Trump tell us back then? He said, that's why you'll never have another black president again because of Obama. He actually said that shit out loud, too. Um, and now you have to wonder, really, with this insurrection, uh, what are we going to do when you find out? That elected officials were uh, involved in surveillance prior to and during the event 
of insurrection in uh, coordination with these outside agitators who came in ready to uh, kill, ready to kidnap, ready to murder and brutalize and, and commit acts of insurrection, treason, and sedition. What do you find out? What do you do when you find out that they were complicit? And the proof shows it. Uh, Trump has always been the one to tell us treason is when, when you're a treasonous and you, you commit treason, you should be killed. Isn't that what he always has said? He's a, he's a proponent of the death penalty and has said it many occasions that, you know, not only should treason be subject to death, but also drug dealers and drug users and uh, people who steal candy from candy stores and little old ladies that walk across the street the wrong way, all of them should be subject to the death penalty. That's, that's Trump's stance on it. Uh, one of the stories that came out that caught my attention was Ayanna Presley said that her office, they have these panic buttons. Apparently, you know, if you've been threatened with death threats, you get these panic buttons in your office. And she said before the event occurred, somebody went in and tore her panic buttons all of them out, tore them all out. So she had multiple panic buttons, and they were all torn out of her office before anybody got up in there during the insurrection. Uh, there's got to be cameras in this place yeah. to have captured who went into her office during this period, you know? Um, and then as you watch the police stand aside, you also felt some kind of way, uh, you know, because if that was us, we they would have shot us in mass. Like, it, it don't matter if there's only 50 no cops there. The <laughs> They'd have been firing left and right at everything that moved until we ran screaming, and they would have been like, job well done, ain't nobody get in. Exactly. Uh, you know, and have no Fs to give about whether we lived or died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for these folks, they just stepped aside. And I, I saw the arguments that the insurrectionists presented to them. They were saying things like, we're on your side. We support you. See, I got this thin blue line thing right here on my shirt. It means that we support you. We're on the same side. Brother, let us through. And they just step aside and let them through. Yep. You know, they, they American skin, it brought back so many memories of me to me of how many times I witnessed the brutal murders of innocents, of people who look just like me, men, women, and children on yeah. video. I've seen, and you too can probably say this, anybody listening can probably say this, we have seen more of our kind murdered in cold blood than all of our ancestors saw combined. Right. Uh, because of video. Right. So, you know, they weren't exposed as this level of murder, death, kill that we are right now. You can't open, you can't look at TV one day and not see right. somebody else has been murdered by you these cops. On the Facebook without seeing it. And, and the media exploits it. The media exploits it. Like, I explained a few days ago how I was watching the moment where the cop in D.C. shot the woman in the neck, right? Mm-hmm. So they had the footage, and it came up. You see the cop pull out the gun, and you, you hear the trigger go off, and then it cuts to commercial. Like, oh, my God, did you really just do that? You're going to sell me some insurance right now. Like, the moment you're about to murder this woman in a snuff film is when you think that I need to have insurance. That's what you're telling me? Geico right. needs to be talking to me right, right. now because right. I can save 30% or less, right, or right. more, right? It was ridiculous the, the the way that they they profit off of this and this death and suffering. As a matter of fact, the Civil War itself 
is attributed as being the birth of modern journalism in the United States. What we see is mass media right now. That all began with the Civil War. Uh, they were embedding people left and right. Uh, there was so many reporters uh, bringing back these stories and images and stuff like that. That's what built the media that we have today was the Civil War. And they're looking at it right now in the very same way. Like, this could be our second breath, you know what I mean? So let's make sure that we cover this properly. And we're embedded and we, you know, before you know it, you'll be hearing stories about how I spent six months with the KKK and they never knew I was a reporter stories, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, that it's going to start coming out. This They're exploiting it. It's, it's a way to make money for them. I saw the Young Turks today reporting on a story that CNN was happy uh, because they finally beat Fox. So CNN apparently is above Fox in the ratings for the first time since the Stone Age. And right. they are as happy they can possibly be about that. Fox came in third. Um, well, Fox News is KKK Central. It, it is, you know, indoctrination nation central. It, it's where you go to be indoctrinated into cult of white supremacy. So I don't even know why they exist, to be honest with you. Um, I know that they call it free speech. They dare call themselves a news program, but it's not a news program. It's uh, part partisan leaning opinion pieces. And often the opinions are not their own, but are opinions that they're told to carry and yeah. told to hold and told to repeat to the point where you can watch their uh, subsidiaries all across America say the same exact thing they're saying at the same exact time. You know, somebody did that in a, in a program once where they synced it all up, how you can see all of these different reporters through, uh, I, I believe, I'm trying to remember the name of this company, Sinclair. I think it was Sinclair Broadcasting, yeah. where they all were saying the same exact thing same in thing. sync all across the country. That's, that's, that's programming. Mm-hmm. And it's coming from uh, Fox News and others like it that have access to billions of listeners all over the world. And they're feeding them propaganda and lies that is very much like the same type of propaganda that has been used throughout the history of warfare. Um, yeah, I don't even know how they're still running every day. All right, I see I got a phone line. Uh, uh, somebody's got their hands up, so let me stop running my mouth and bring you in. Three, two, five, one. You are here with us on Abolition Today. State your name, uh, where you calling from, and your question or comment. Hey, Max, it's uh, Sean calling from Maine. How are you doing tonight? Uh, what's happening, Sean? How you doing, brother? Good. Um, I just had a couple of comments. Um, speaking, thinking of the the symbols that you and uh, Scott are talking about. Um, the symbol um, for me that's been on my mind the last week is um, the construction of the uh, Museum for African American Culture and History, which is in um, Washington D.C. And I remember when um, there was a uh, President Obama and President Bush um, where we were doing the opening dedication speeches and. President Obama said, you know, well, maybe it's a chance that police officers could learn something from coming to this museum and just the irony, you know, of of what happened in Washington, you know, just about five years ago. Um, mm. What happened now and what he said about five years ago, it just it kind of blows my mind, you know, that uh, did, did, did you notice that as well? Um, I can't say that I did, uh, but I, I do now uh, that you, mm-hmm. you pointed it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also um, the notion that um seems like there's a narrative going on right now that, um, well, the Confederacy, Confederacy is rising up, but the North won. So, you know, just concede, like Trump should just concede, the Confederacy should just concede. But 
what's going through on my mind in the last week is we had the nooses, you know, um, in Washington, but also um, on the other side on the on the um, on the west coast, we had um, the woman of uh, Berlinda Neva, I think her name was, attacked by attacked by a lynch mob. So for me, it's just the whole thing. It's coast to coast, and it's not necessarily just the Confederacy rising up and they lost. It's the whole nation, you know. It's it's nationalized, you know. It's and it seems like it's a false narrative. It was just the South rising up after so many years, and it's just the Confederacy, you know, trying to or the Confederate sympathizers just trying to assert their power again. I was wondering what you thought about that. Well, you know, as far as them. The South rising again. I've spoken about this before in writing and uh, on, on air. Um, they're rising. It's indeed, indeed true that they're rising. But they're they're rising from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and everywhere in between. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's no longer geographic. It's the, the the lines are drawn in your mind, what you believe. Mm-hmm. So you could have a pro-slavery and anti-slavery couple, like literally, mm-hmm. you know, and, or your your mother could be the racist who's the problem, or your sister, right. or your brother, or your father, or your neighbor right next door with the Confederate flag in Vermont, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So the South is everywhere, and Frederick Douglass warned about this in 1888 when mm-hmm. he denounced the emancipation as a stupendous fraud, uh, and mm-hmm. he wrote in there and warned us that the South was very cunning as he described them and this hustle that they had ran would make them masters of the Negro and masters of the country if they were not stopped. And here we are mm-hmm. now with uh, the literally con- the Confederate ideology is uh, the ideology of the United States of America. Uh, you know, it's yeah. part of our educational process in our school systems. Uh, we are teaching it and we have this, Lost cause philosophy all up in our education system. If I'm not mistaken, he gave that speech in Washington D.C. as well, didn't he? On the anniversary of the emancipation, yep, mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. on the anniversary of the emancipation, where uh, you know it reminds me of some of the stuff that I might do because I I consider myself a mentor, a mentee of Frederick, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When he got up on the stage, he was like, "I know y'all called me up here to say." What you thought I was going to say Well let me tell you how things Really are right. <laughs> And that's you know that's That was uh, Amiri Baraka Doing Somebody Blew Up America yeah. <laughs> You mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. We always have That's right The only the last poet laureate of New Jersey Because of that um, That mm-hmm. is the position we find ourselves in Often called to testify On some BS and they expect us to tell things the way they want them to tell it. And then those with the understanding, the knowledge, and the capability stand up strong and proud and speak the truth as they know the truth, leaving out no stone unturned. And that was what Frederick Douglass did in 1888 at the uh, anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. He dropped the bomb. And it just blows my mind that that speech has gone so unnoticed. It's not in people's mm-hmm. books about Frederick Douglass. They don't teach it in the curriculums about him and the uh, stories of abolition and slavery and the end of slavery. That co- that speech is never even brought up. He's heralded as one of the key architects for the abolition of slavery. But Frederick himself mm-hmm. in 1888 had decided they did not abolish slavery. And he warned mm-hmm. against it as early as 1865 in his speech uh, that he gave on the day that 
William Lloyd Garrison had called for the the, the dissolvement of the American Anti-Slavery Society. And he called mm-hmm. for the society to disband on the grounds that the 13th Amendment had been ratified by enough states and said that our job is done as the anti-slavery society. And Frederick Douglass came in and was like, hold up, a monkey's many of y'all. Uh-uh. Right? Mm-hmm. Hell to the no. And you can hear Bush and Bullwinkle in the background going, hell to the no, to the no, 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 hell to the no. <laughs> Well, he, he dropped the bomb that day. If you've never read Frederick Douglass's speech denouncing the emancipation, uh, go into the bathroom right now and get some baby powder. Put some of that baby powder in your hand and powder slap the shit out of yourself because you should have read it by now. So just look online. I denounced this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud by Frederick Douglass, 1888. Hey, thanks a lot, Sean. I appreciate you. Uh, Adding your voice to the conversation Was there anything else you want to uh, Speak um, about He also in that speech as well He also talked about kind of a false celebration So it's a great time to be reading that speech For the um, inauguration coming up You know people celebrating You know very uncritically You know Biden's election It'd be a great time to if You know haven't read that speech to read it Because of the Whole no, the celebratory tone in our nation, and you know, we won. You know, like it would be so humbling. I would think to to read that and put it in perspective. No, we're we're on our stage to winning. You know, with a challenging search. Remember, we haven't won yet. You know, right? You know, some months ago, I tried to put together uh, an event where. Uh, people, about 40 people could participate in actually reading that speech uh, one sound by mm-hmm. at a time. So everybody would do a couple lines of it. Remember, and, and you know, I got together a bunch of volunteers, uh, but some things went sideways. And, and one, I don't know how, but people started inviting like everybody. <laughs> we had, had like 200 volunteers, like didn't even know what we were talking about. So uh, that was one thing. And also we, uh, at that time, we began the launch of the Abolish Slavery National Network, which took a lot of my attention. But I still plan mm-hmm. on doing that con- uh, that project where uh, we get a mm-hmm. bunch of people, 40 people or so, to read Frederick Douglass's denouncement of the emancipation, and everybody will get to say a few lines of it. So I'm still planning on doing that. I just can't commit to exactly when at this point. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. All right, brother. Yeah, was... well, Thanks, Matt. Um, I appreciate you calling in, man. And uh, I think I'm going to get ready to go into our, our last music break um, and share another gem that I found. How, how are you enjoying our, our music mixes so far? Were you talking to me? Sure. Yes. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a whole new um, experience for me. I, I love it. It's uh, very inspirational. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. I was telling uh, my man Nine here that uh, as far as I'm concerned, spoken word, the genre encompasses a lot of things, you know, like speech writers, speeches, mm-hmm. uh, pastors who give these deliver these, these fiery uh, sermons, um, you know, comedians, all of this is spoken words. So when you mm-hmm. put it together like we do with a little bit of music, it really becomes clear that it is spoken word. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our next music break. You're here listening to Abolition Today at abolitiontoday.org. I'm Max Parthas, and uh, we're going to play Evil is Alive and Well by Jacob Diamond. And yes, that is uh, Bob Dylan's son, Bob Dylan's son. 
Uh, it's also has some clips from Don Lemon himself of CNN. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. And I just want you to look at these pictures. Two men, two different flags. Two men who showed up in the service of this president's lies. One desecrating the nation's capital, carrying a Confederate battle flag. One desecrating the American flag itself, using it to beat a police officer. Wouldn't you rather someone kneel? Seems more respectful to me. Federal prosecutors charging Peter Francis Dager, saying that he is the man seen in that video beating a police officer with the American flag. Roughly 30 minutes later, according to the timestamp on the videos, prosecutors say he tells the Telegraph this. Everybody in there is a disgrace. That entire building is filled with treasonous traits. Yes, sir. Death is the only remedy for what's in that building. You heard it. I don't even have to repeat it. You heard it. Stop making excuses for it. Right in front of your face. You see it with your eyes. It is what it is. It's exactly what that is. What doesn't always have a shape? Almost never does it have a name. Maybe has a pitchfork, maybe has a tail, but evil is alive and well. It might walk upright from out of the inferno, maybe coming horseback through deep snow. It's ragged and fat, it's hungry as hell, and evil is alive and well. How evil is alive, evil is well. Evil is alive, evil is well On your feet to the tower and yell Evil is alive and well Maybe too humble to want to speak May have a blood-soaked bird in its teeth Smoke-filled skies and bees in the well And evil is alive and well Now maybe in a palace Maybe in the streets Maybe here among us on a crowded beach Maybe asleep in a roadside motel But evil is alive and well Now evil is alive Evil is well Evil is alive Evil is well On your feet In a tower in a yell That evil is alive It's well Down in every ditch Upon every hill It's well I've got my radio on Drowning the bells Night's done and the day won't start. All I ever gave you was a broken heart. 
it's hard to admit, but it's easy to tell that evil isn't laughing well. Now evil is alive, evil is well, evil is alive, evil is well. Now on your feet to the tower and yell that evil is alive and well. Evil is alive, it's well. Today, here at abolitiontoday.org, I'm Max Parthas. You just heard Evil is Alive and Well by Jacob Dillon. Um, and some clips from Don Lemon letting you know exactly where, where we're at right now. You know, uh, let's stop making excuses for them. Let's just stop that, making these excuses. Uh, insurrection is not a matter of opinion, just like racism is not a matter of opinion. Uh, you know, so we need to stop having these conversations like it's a political stance. It's not. We're talking about uh, criminal action here in the United States, treason and beyond, insurrection. They literally went there to murder, death, kill, rape, and uh, take over the country. And they had, from what everything seems like, uh, insider assistance. And this is the slaver class that we're talking about. Racist white supremacists who would just as soon see brown and black people not here at all, uh, whether they be dead or in prison or just shipped out uh, somehow to some place. Uh, these are the type of people that we're dealing with right now. They are lunatics, uh, insane in the membrane. Yes, uh, you know, uh, I mean, to even con- entertain the thoughts that you're thinking about and, and the ideals that you have. And, you know, I, I believe that it's easier uh, to con uh, non-blacks and non-brown people. I think it's easier to con them because there is no negative reinforcement. They don't have to deal with the negative reinforcement. Uh, it's all positive reinforcement. So, you know, they murder our children. Um, they hunt us in the streets and as slave catchers. They uh, put us into these uh, horrible conditions that they call prisons, uh, where death is part of the cars every single day, uh, brutalize us, and much of what we saw today in American skin. This is what we got to live with every single day. And so for us, those opportunities are wake-up calls, you know, when we saw Valerie Castile talk about the fucked up mother's club uh, being in that and F the police and how she really felt, um, those are rare moments that take a horrible circumstance to wake you up to the point where, oh, I get it now. I get it now. My child's dead and now I get it. Uh, my son, daughter, sister, mother, father's in prison for no reason. because They were railroaded and now I get it. Uh, you shouldn't have to wait that long. It, it, it shouldn't get you. Shouldn't, shouldn't get to the point where it has to strike home in a horrible uh, way for you to get it. We need you to get it now, before your family members are murdered, 
before they're uh, wrongfully incarcerated, before they're extorted and abused and brutalized. We need to get it now collectively. And the collective thing is, is another missing component, you know? Um, they don't take responsibility for what is being done collectively. You even mentioned, I think it was earlier, it said some, some you know, all cops are bad, or was that Scotty that said that? I think it might have been Scotty. He said, you know, all cops ain't slave catchers. They're out here trying to do something good. And, and I've said this before on the program. I'm going to say it again. Here's my question. How many slaves do you need to catch to be a slave catcher? Like, there's a number, right? How many slaves do you need to catch for you to be a slave catcher and for that term to apply to you indefinitely? And what do you have to do to no longer be a slave catcher once you become one? Good question. You can have a decorated career as an officer for 30 years. You could have saved uh, half thousand million kittens, uh, orphans, old ladies across the street helping them risk your life on dozens of occasions uh, trying to save other people. But if you uh, have at least just one wrong arrest where you know that you're putting somebody in prison or charging them with these things, and you don't want to do that, but the law is forcing you to, and you are an agent of the law, you now are a slave catcher. You just caught a slave for them. And, and there's nothing that takes that away from you. You are going to be a slave catcher. You yeah. can go back to saving kittens and children and orphans and all of that, and you still are a slave catcher. So collectively, that adds up. You know, if just every cop in this country only had one, just one bad arrest, yeah. it would still be a million people in prison a year for no apparent reason. And that million to be class and race-based. Uh, we focus primarily on poor and minority communities, and yeah. and it's a selective poor and minority communities too, but, you know, because uh, you know the Asian population is not expanding in prison, uh, and there is places like Chinatown where we know that they have uh, uh, their own uh, criminal aspects there, and yet you don't never hear nobody talking about no Chinese on Chinese crime in Chinatown. <laughs> it's always the black on black crime They had that argument In American Skin And I thought that was enlightening Not because anybody said anything um, That stood out But because the fact that they were conversing About this uh, Amongst characters Who normally wouldn't have this conversation with each other So the person that's behind bars That you just locked up two hours ago Is now you got to sit down With him as an equal and discuss with him the issues of what's going on in the United States racially. And then to find out, which they always, which is, seems to be a case more often than not, is those brothers that you're incarcerating, that you're criminalizing, are far brighter than you are. Right. And know more about the system than you do. You were just a freaking grunt out here acting as a slave catcher. Right. And they happen to be your victim at that time. Man. They're smart enough to shut you down. Smart enough to shut you down. Well, listen, y'all, we're coming near the closing up of our program not too far away. 
So I want to take some time to say thank you and to mention our sponsors. Uh, thank you, Nine Elements, for being here at the Park Coffee Abolitionist Center. Thanks, I appreciate you, brother. It's been too many years. What you say today was 16 years. 16 years we've been rolling. 16 years we've been rolling together, man. Prismatic Dreams yes, and the New Word Order. <laughs> yes, uh, it has been a while. I appreciate you being here today, especially at the center and participating with me in Abolition today. That's awesome. Um, and thanks for our callers. Uh, appreciate Scotty Reed. Uh, I'm gonna send Goodwills and Get Wells to my man Yusuf Hassan, and hope that everything's okay with Johanna and Eliza. Uh, I, I want to give you a couple updates about what's coming in the future. To Kenneth Morris, recently he is the great 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 grandson of Frederick Douglass, as well as the great 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 grandson of Booker T. Washington. Uh, both of them, yeah, it's an amazing thing. He's going to be our guest February 21st here on Abolition Today, the descendant of Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington. And he also gave me the contact information uh, for a descendant of Harriet Tubman, who will be hopefully getting in for Black History Month here on Abolition Today as well. Uh, he is so proud of us. Like he told me, he said, Max, my grandfather would be very proud of what you guys have accomplished right now. And man, that was just the most moving thing for me. I could just... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, th that's happening in February. Next week, we're going to have Professor Robert Chase uh, from out of Syracuse, New York University, and uh, he is going to join us and talk from the academics' perspective about this slavery thing, <laughs> you know what I mean, and what they're doing in the academic circles to help uh, bring a more firm narrative uh, than what we have been used to seeing. And, you know, when I say firm, I mean something that is rooted in reality. <laughs> All right. So thank you to uh, everybody that's listening today. We've had some of our best, uh, most listened to shows ever since season two. I think some uh, quite a bit of that is thanks to Scotty Reed and the Black Talk Radio Network syndicating us. So thanks, Scotty. Um, we appreciate our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, always down. Uh, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, same urge. Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, and Prismatic Dreams. Um, tonight, we got a, the part two of our special, Bridging the Gap, which features the Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman, reading from the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Last week, he explained his parentage, born of rape and slavery. Tonight, in part two, he goes deeper and explains exactly how brutal and callous life for the Negro was and is on the plantation. Um, this paired with the song Plantation Mentality, a single from the artist Salute, speaking about a mentality of many Americans uh, that are affected every single day. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program, youtube.com slash abolition today. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back uh, on the 24th, as I said, with Professor Robert Chase, author of We Are Not Slaves, State Violence, Coerced Labor, and Prisoners' Rights in Postwar America. So until next week, as always, remember to think of abolition today. Peace. Abolition. abolition today. Every year abolition. brings with it multitudes of this class of slaves. It was doubtless in consequence of a knowledge of this fact that one great statesman of the South predicted the downfall of slavery by the inevitable laws of population.
Whether this prophecy is ever fulfilled or not, it is nevertheless plain that a very different looking class of people are springing up at the South and are now held in slavery from those originally brought to this country from Africa. And if their increase do no other good, it will do away the force of the argument that God cursed Ham and therefore American slavery is right. If the lineal descendants of Ham are alone to be scripturally enslaved, it is certain that slavery at the South but soon become unscriptural. For thousands are ushered into the world annually who, like myself, owe their existence to white fathers and those fathers most frequently their own masters. I've had two masters. My first master's name was Anthony. I do not remember his first name. He was generally called Captain Anthony, a title which I presume he acquired by selling a craft on the Chesapeake Bay. He was not considered a rich slaveholder. He owned two or three farms and about 30 slaves. His farms and slaves were under the care of an overseer. The overseer's name was Plummer. Mr. Plummer was a miserable drunkard, a profane swearer and a savage monster. He always went armed with a cow skin and a heavy cudgel. I have known him to cut and slash the women's heads so horribly that even Master would be enraged at his cruelty and would threaten to whip him if he did not mind himself. Master, however, was not a humane slaveholder. It required extraordinary barbarity on the part of an overseer to affect him. He was a cruel man, hardened by a long life of slaveholding. He would at times seem to take great pleasure in whipping a slave. I have often been awakened at the dawn of day by the most heart-rending shrieks of an own aunt of mine, whom he used to tie up to a joist and whip upon her naked back till she was literally covered with blood. No words, no tears, no prayers from his gory victim seemed to move his iron heart from its bloody purpose. The louder she screamed, the harder he whipped, and where the blood ran fastest, there he whipped longest. He would whip her to make her scream and whip her to make her hush. And not until overcome by fatigue would he cease to swing the blood-clotted cowskin. I remember the first time I ever witnessed this horrible exhibition. I was quite a child, but I well remember it. I never shall forget it whilst I remember anything. It was the first of a long series of such outrages of which I was doomed to be a witness and a participant. It struck me with awful force. It was the blood-stained gate, the entrance to the hell of slavery through which I was about to pass. It was a most terrible spectacle. I wish I could commit to paper the feelings with which I beheld it. This occurrence took place very soon after I went to live with my old master and under the following circumstances. Aunt Hester went out one night, where or for what I do not know, and happened to be absent when my master desired her presence. He had ordered her not to go out evenings and warned her that she must never let him catch her in company with a young man who was paying attention to her, belonging to Colonel Lloyd. The young man's name was Ned Roberts. 
generally called Lloyd's Ned. Why Master was so careful of her may be safely left to conjecture. She was a woman of noble form and of graceful proportions, having very few equals and fewer superiors in personal appearance among the colored or white women of our neighborhood. And Hester had not only disobeyed his orders in going out, but had been found in company with Lloyd's Ned, which circumstance I found from what he said while whipping her was the chief offense. Had he been a man of pure morals himself, he might have been thought interested in protecting the innocence of my aunt, but those who knew him will not suspect him of any such virtue. Before he commenced whipping on Hester, he took her into the kitchen and stripped her from neck to waist, leaving her neck, shoulders, and back entirely naked. He then told her to cross her hands, calling her at the same time a dead bitch. After crossing her hands, he tied them with a strong rope and led her to a stool under a large hook in the joist put in for the purpose. He made her get upon the stool and tied her hands to the hook. She now stood fair for his infernal purpose. Her arms were stretched up at their full length so that she stood upon the ends of her toes. He then said to her, Now, you damn bitch, I'll learn you how to disobey my orders. And after rolling up his sleeves, he commenced to lay on the heavy cowskin. And soon, the warm red blood amid heart-rending shrieks from her and horrid oaths from him came dripping to the floor. I was so terrified and horror-stricken at the sight that I hid myself in a closet and dared not venture out till long after the bloody transaction was over. I expected it would be my turn next. It was all new to me. I had never seen anything like it before. I had always lived with my grandmother on the outskirts of the plantation where she was put to raise the children of the younger women. I had therefore been, until now, out of the way of the bloody scenes that often occurred on the plantation. How can you 
fix the problem if you can never acknowledge that. Just the reason why people say we don't know how to act. We teach the same habits passed down through generations and get the same conclusion. Death of mass incarceration. My folk came over on a boat in 1619 locked in chains. Bad for 400 years to the present. Still ain't a whole lot changed. Who can you blame for somebody picking a gun or robbing a stove for food? But his baby is starving, can't get no job cause he got in trouble in school. If I get a million, how could I blame my folks if they try to rob me? The system we using corrupted, it's been uploaded with a virus. Come to the project, see the descendants of slaves killing each other to build. They ain't trying to solve it, they bought the first for the aid to get paid off every kill. To win, you gotta defy the laws of gravity. We pull each other down, even kill our own family. But if I speak the truth, the whole world might be mad at me. It's one explanation. What's that? Asian mentality. Plantation mentality. Nobody had the answer, so people stop asking questions like who were black Americans before Harriet Tubman. When you start telling the truth, a lie like to switch the subject. I come up, you pull me down. They cooking crabs in the bucket. Jim Crow law still flying in the south. You can die from the color of your skin. The law that we live by was made for the slaves all stacked up against you to win. I can't pretend I don't see the face of a lot of our people who walk around hopeless. It's a condition that most of us suffer from without a doctor's diagnosis. Most of my history deleted, my folks took the name of a slave master. That's like comprehending a book, dismissing the first eight chapters. Caught in the raps of lack of knowledge, violence, and police brutality. Dear Lord, I want to change. How do I erase this mentality? Abolition. 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 Abolition.